I call this Bible study One Nation Under God. You know, Thanksgiving has always been a very special holiday to me. I have wonderful memories of Thanksgiving holidays when I was growing up. I remember the good smells out of the kitchen, and I remember the excitement of having all the family come together and the overwhelming gratitude that I felt in my heart for all the good things that God had done for me. I can even think of Thanksgiving now, and it just puts a warm feeling all over me. I think it is so important for our children to have these kinds of memories when they grow up. Now, I'm certainly not for the traditions of men that contradict God's Word, but we need to build godly traditions that uphold and call to remembrance the good things that God has done. I think we need to build strong family traditions. See, these traditions are not only nice, but they're indispensable. And I believe that we as parents are responsible for teaching and keeping alive memories of the times when God intervened. You know, when you think about it, many of the godly interventions are celebrated as holidays. Most holidays are times when God intervened in man's life. That's what a holiday should be. And Thanksgiving is one of those opportunities. See, there are no pagan origins in Thanksgiving. Now, I said that Thanksgiving has always been special to me, but several years ago, it just came alive and took on new meaning like never before. So today, I'm going to remind us again, or I'm going to call to our remembrance, the spiritual heritage that we have in this holiday. See, it's not just an American heritage, it's our spiritual heritage. Now, this may not be new to you, but just as we're thrilled every time we hear the Christmas story, no matter how many times we've heard it, in the same way, the Thanksgiving story can thrill and excite us as it rekindles our appreciation to God for this nation that he's given to us and for our spiritual heritage. Now, there are so many documents and journals that have been preserved and handed down by our founding fathers that take us back to the early, early days of America that anyone could do their own research and find these things out. But it would take hours and hours. So I'm going to give you a shortcut today. Peter Marshall Jr. co-authored a book called The Light and the Glory. And I appreciated his work because he compiled 112 of these different books and journals to show us our spiritual and our American heritage. Now, my objective in this Bible study as always at Thanksgiving, is to spark the spirit of Thanksgiving in us. And I'm going to once again contrast our American and spiritual heritage that we received through the pilgrims who settled at Plymouth to the first settlement at Jamestown. I think you're going to find it really interesting. You know, what I'm about to tell you that took place at Jamestown could have been our heritage if it had not been for God's intervention. I want you to think about that. As you listen to this story of Jamestown, I want you to think about the fact that that could have been our heritage, except God intervened. Every time I think of that, it makes me just want to get on my face and say, oh God, thank you for intervening in this time in history. Now, it's very interesting to see the difference between the coming of those first settlers in Jamestown and that of the pilgrims some 15 years later, whose mission was led and guided by the Lord. Now, when you hear this, it's going to make you want to celebrate Thanksgiving. The Jamestown expedition started under the guise of evangelizing the new world. But you'll see as I relate this story that there was no truth in it. Out of the 144 men, there was one Christian, a man named Robert Hunt. He was a minister. Now, no one else even claimed to know God according to their journals. They brought no women, 
There were not even any places, any plans to build homes and colonize and go back for the women so that they could start families. All they were interested in was gold. They had one objective in coming to the new world, and that was to get rich. Now, the lack of God's blessing became apparent from the moment that they stepped on the ship. They started squabbling, and they began to eat up all their rations. They encountered such a horrible storm that for the first six weeks, they never even lost sight of their homeland. It was a miracle that they didn't run out of food before they even got there. They encountered one horrible storm after another, but that wasn't the worst part. It was all the backbiting and the contention and the strife that went on in the ship. And it was no different when they finally reached land. It was just like a free-for-all. In fact, one person wrote in their journal that it was like a flag that was dropped to start a race. And they all took off individually when they hit land, and they were off to make their fortune. The commoners were made to unload the ship, but the gentlemen, the ones with money, they ran and they just began opening oyster shells trying to find pearls. There was no ardor. There was no teamwork. It was total greed and total lust. Now, one person with a little bit of foresight kept saying, we can't stay here. We can't build our colony here because there's no drainage. And he kept telling them that they needed to go to higher ground. But they were so lazy and they were so distracted by gold and so distracted by trying to get rich that they wouldn't move. So they started their colony there and they drank the slow-running murky river water. Now, finally, they realized that they had settled on top of their own sewage. So you can imagine, naturally, they began to get sick. And as they got sick, there was so much greed and so much selfishness. It was every man for himself. So no one was there to care for the people that were sick. If you got sick, you nursed yourself back to health. Now, Robert Hunt tried to pass himself around to those in need, but there was no way to care for everyone. So that first winter was tragic. When you read the journals, you realize that there was no way to describe the horror of it. Now, many of our textbooks at school painted Captain John Smith to be a hero, but he was far from a hero. He was never appointed to be a leader. However, he did have leadership qualities, so he just sort of evolved into taking charge of the colony. Now, his character was totally ungodly. He had an ego problem, and he belittled everyone with sarcasm, and he had all these cutting remarks to make, so no one liked him. He alienated himself from everyone. Now, when they had two weeks of food left, he did come up with the idea of trading for corn, so he bought himself a little bit of acceptance there. And he kept doing this trading for a while until he decided that it would be easier to raid for food instead of trade. Now, it was nothing to him to kill an Indian for food. In fact, all the colonists became hardened to that practice. Greed motivated the entire community. It was like greed just kind of took over like a spiritual assignment over the whole colony. Their own journals even talked about how they tried to get more than everyone else. Now, there was no way for God to bless the pathway of this evil and this greed that they had chosen. Now, the first winter in 1608 was just tragic. Fire broke out in Jamestown, and it got totally out of control. And since there was no teamwork, it was every man for himself. So before the fire was under control, there were only three houses left. And more than half of the supplies and half of the ammunition was gone. It was a total devastation. Now, interestingly enough, Jamestown became entirely dependent, though, on the generosity of the Indians. Those Indians tried to help them, and, and these were the same Indians who had been so badly mistreated by these men at Jamestown. 
Many of their tribesmen and many of their family members had been savagely killed. And when they were asked why they helped after they'd been so mistreated, their answer was, well, we just couldn't stand back and watch them die like dogs. So these Indians had no reason and no motive for helping the white men other than just simple compassion. So when the planting time came, the Indians gave them corn and begged them to plant. But they took the seed and instead of planting it, they ate their seed. So there was nothing to grow. There was nothing to multiply back. There was no harvest. Now, finally, a black market started when the ships came in. Now, these ships didn't have many supplies to begin with, but they took the supplies they had and they marked them sky high. So those who had money were eating well because they could pay the high premiums for what they needed. But the time came, according to many of the journals, that some of the people were literally feasting while others only a few feet away were starving to death. It was so sad because there was never any sharing. They just buried the less fortunate ones who starved and they went right on just clinging to things and bringing it to themselves. Now, Captain John Smith had an ego problem and there came a point where he had to keep building his ego to feel good about himself. The Indians felt sorry for these ignorant white men and because they had helped them a little, these Indians continued to sort of look out for the colonists, but in spite of their generosity, Whenever Captain Smith needed a physical challenge to prove his bravery, he would just go out and kill some of the Indians just to show his authority. We've all read in our history books about Pocahontas and how she was supposed to have thrown her body across Captain John Smith to save his life. But you know, even the colonists there in Jamestown didn't believe that story. John Smith came back and told the story himself, so most of the people only saw that as another one of his ego trips. Now, there was a real Pocahontas, and she did marry one of the white settlers. But there was only John Smith's word to back up that story of how she had saved his life. Now, instead of the death rate improving the second year like it did later in Plymouth, we find that the second year the death rate was higher than ever, and nine out of ten people died. I want you to think about that. Only one person out of ten was going to live through that first winter. Now, year after year, they steadfastly refused to go with God. They never even acknowledged God. They never listened to him. They never listened to this one lone minister. So they closed every door to God's blessing. The settlers at Jamestown made no effort whatsoever to feed themselves. They were lazy. All they cared about was gold. And they thought nothing of slaughtering a whole Indian village to get the supplies and the food that they needed. Smith was finally relieved of his duties because they got so angry with him, but even after he was relieved, he had such a strong personality that they were afraid of him, and he refused to lay down his authority, so he just kept on as their leader in spite of the fact that they had tried to dismiss him. Now, they had sowed to the flesh, and from the flesh they were reaping corruption. Now, you've probably all heard of 1609 because that became known as the starving time. They finally had to eat every animal, including the hide every dog, every cat, even the mice. They boiled the leather and they would chew on the leather trying to get a little bit of nourishment. Finally, the few survivors, the one out of ten that survived, had turned to cannibalism. And I thought, Lord, how sad it is when someone tries to go their own way apart from you. You know, it certainly degenerates in a hurry because without God, there's total depravity. Now, up until the time of his death, Robert Hunt, the one lone minister tried to get people to come to the Lord, but they showed no interest. 
Now, there were a few deathbed conversions, but no one was the least bit interested in listening to Robert Hunt as long as they were on their feet. But I thought, you know, that's just like God. He at least did have someone there giving them the opportunity. Now, the settlement at Jamestown was started without God, and it continued without God, and it was a dismal failure from beginning to end. Now, I want you to see that this could have been our heritage. That was the very first settlement in America, and that could have been the first of many just like it to come. But praise God, God had a plan for this great nation. And that's why our hearts need to just burst in gratitude and thanksgiving every time we realize that God intervened to save us from that. You know, liberal historians would like to make us believe that all the colonists were like Jamestown, but they weren't. The next settlers that were going to cross the ocean were the pilgrims. They came and they settled in Plymouth. As determined as Jamestown was not to listen to the Lord, we find that these pilgrims were just that determined to be led and guided by God every step of the way. So I want us to look in contrast to the pilgrims in Plymouth. Their circumstances in the natural were very little different. They faced similar problems just exactly like Jamestown did. The only difference was that God intervened every single time with miracles because they were open to the Lord. No matter what the problem was, as they turned to God and as they prayed, He would turn the circumstances around and He would make it work for them. In August 1620, they started out on the Mayflower. It's probably significant that the name of their ship was the same as Columbus's ship because both were carrying out a divine mission. Now, this time they were bringing families. They brought women. I thought about it. Do you suppose that's why they had it a little better? Because they brought their women along. They brought the women along and they set up their homesteads. And it's interesting to read all the different journal entries of, of how they got their colony started. Before they even started the trip, they prayed and they sought the Lord. And they began to prepare themselves spiritually. So many times we'll start on a trip and we prepare physically, but... They spent time preparing themselves spiritually for this trip. In fact, their journals said that when they went to the dock, they dropped to their knees. See, the foundation of the whole trip was laid right here before they ever stepped foot on the ship. There were mostly pilgrims. There were a few strangers, but even the strangers knelt with them there on the dock. And when they got up, they said that there was not a dry eye. Now, they too had one common goal, just as Jamestown had a common goal, a common objective. The only difference was where Jamestown's objective was to find gold, Plymouth's objective was to evangelize the new world. Any history book will tell you that they came looking for religious freedom, and that's true. But they also believed that God had given them a commission and had called them out personally to take Jesus Christ to this new continent. Now, I don't think it's coincidental that Columbus had felt that same commission just a little over a hundred years before when he set sail to discover America. Now, there were no spectators. They were all participants. And we find that when they got there, even though some had more money than others, they treated each other with dignity. Now, my mind just can't even conceive of some of the hardships that they encountered but we find that God continued to give them grace and they had a steadfastness and a tenacity that saw them through. They knew that God had told them to do something. They knew that he was going to see them through, and he did. Now, after they started on the voyage, they encountered a horrible storm, but they continued to seek God together. 
One journal said we always prayed through our despair into peace and then on into Thanksgiving. I thought so many times when I'm in despair, I'll pray until I get peace. But once I get my peace, then I'm fine and I'm ready to go again. But you see, they learned a principle. They prayed out of despair. They got their peace, but they didn't stop there. They prayed on until they came into thanksgiving, until they were able literally in the midst of their circumstances to give thanks to God. Now, one very interesting event that happened on their trip, they were harassed unmercifully by the sailors. The persecution was tremendous. They were mocked continually. The sailors would gloat at their seasickness, and they got great pleasure out of telling the pilgrims how they looked forward to sewing them up in their shrouds and then throwing them overboard and feeding them to the fish. Now, that's bound to have been pretty unbearable because if you've ever been seasick, you do think you're going to die. There's nothing sicker than seasickness. And so you can imagine the toll that this had on their morale. But they continued to praise and to bless God. And as they would kneel down and praise God, these sailors would gather around them and would mock them and make fun of them. In fact, even the sailors would kneel down with them, but they did it in a mocking way. Well, you can't mock God and get by with it. Suddenly one day, the leader of these persecutors took mysteriously ill and he took a strange fever and just in a couple of days he died. Now, Psalm 7, verse 15 says that a time comes when one's evil comes back on his own head and he falls into the very pit that he himself has dug. And that's exactly what happened. But you can imagine, no one mocked again. So that was one harassment that they never had to put up with again. Now, there was only one other death on the entire trip. One person was in rebellion over having to drink the lemon water that was required to prevent scurvy. So he died, but those were the only two recorded deaths on the entire trip. Now, at one point, the main crossbeam in the ship broke, and the sailors really got busy because they knew that it would break the ship in two if they didn't get the crossbeam uh, hoisted up. So they kept trying to lever it back up in place, but they couldn't get it back, and so they really got into fear. And as soon as the pilgrims saw how fearful the sailors were, and when they saw what a serious situation they were in, they went to work the only way that they knew how. They gathered in one big room and they began to pray. And you know, their journal said that they prayed, Lord, you delivered Daniel out of the lion's den. You delivered the three Hebrew children out of the fiery furnace. And Lord, we're believing you that you're going to deliver us out of this dilemma. And then suddenly, the captain remembered this giant iron screw that went to his printing press. So they went down into the bottom of the ship and they hauled it up and they put it in place and hoisted the beam right back up in place. Now this captain felt really good about his ingenious idea, but what he didn't know is that it wasn't his wisdom, it was the prayers of those pilgrims. And God had intervened. Now that's why God tells us not to get into pride. Now for three months they were on the ocean going through horrible seasickness. Every time a storm would come up, they'd have to stay below the deck. And, of course, that only made the seasickness worse because you can imagine the stench and the crowded conditions and the darkness. And so finally, one of the men just thought he couldn't take it any longer. He began to get claustrophobia, and he decided he had to go up on deck. And later, he wrote about his experience, and he said that the ship was so high that when he looked down, he couldn't even see the water because they were up on the top of a wave. 
And then he said, all of a sudden, the ship just fell out from under him. And when it did, the water went so high above him that he couldn't even see the top of the wave. Now, of course, that washed him overboard, but God had a rope there and he was able to hang on until they pulled him back on board. They said in just the few moments that he was in the sea, his body had turned a deep blue. Now, we need to appreciate what they went through to bring Christianity to America. Now, God met all their needs, but they went through a lot. Now, when land was finally sighted, a new question arose, a question they had never had before. No longer were they going to be under the authority of the captain of the ship, and no longer were they going to be under the authority of England because England was too far away. So they now had no human rule and no human authority. Unlike Jamestown, who had a free-for-all, though, for the first time in recorded history, free and equal men with no leadership voluntarily made a covenant and wrote up their own civil government. This was the first time in history that this had ever happened. Now, that's why this nation is so utterly unique. God had a plan, and it was obvious. The pilgrims had no way of knowing how significant this document was going to be to American history. But see, God had laid this on their heart, and they were obedient, and it has definitely had its mark down through history. In one of their journals, they wrote these words, Being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell on their knees and they blessed the God of heaven who brought them out of the furious ocean to again set their feet on firm and stable earth. Every time something happened, they dropped to their knees and they began to pray and thank God. They began their journey by kneeling in prayer and they ended their journey by kneeling to thank God. I could almost see them there on the shore, so full of gratitude to have escaped the furious ocean that it was the most natural response in the world to just fall to the ground and began to worship God. You can imagine what was going on in their heart. You know, there's probably no way for anyone to understand the trauma that they went through. We've seen pictures of hostages and prisoners of war who come back, and by the moment they're feet touch American soil, they dropped to the ground and they began kissing the ground. And a lot of people don't understand that kind of emotional display because they've never been through that kind of trauma. I'm sure these pilgrims, during that three-month ordeal, there were probably times they weren't sure they would ever make it. And because of what all they went through emotionally, their first thought was gratitude toward God. See, they let their trials turn them close to God, whereas in Jamestown, the settlers let their hardship harden their hearts even more. Now, I thought it was significant that when they came to shore, they decided that they would send men ashore to spy out the land. How much that parallels the 12 spies that spied out Canaan land. I wondered if they had gotten their idea from what they had read in, in the Old Testament. But they went ashore to spy out the land, and they found 36 ears of corn that had been put in this big black pot and buried and then abandoned. Well, when they found the corn waiting for them, they felt that this was a sign from God showing them the produce of the land. Now, that was like the spies in Joshua's time when they brought back the grapes from the promised land. Now, their journals described the first Indian attack. The moment they put their foot on American soil, the Indians came immediately to attack. It was almost as if something or someone was trying to discourage them and drive them back. But they said that no one was injured. I want you to think about that. Can you imagine an Indian attack and no one being injured? You certainly could see the intervention of God. 
And in their journal, they wrote, after we had given thanks for our deliverance, we continued on our journey. See, their whole existence was giving God thanks, looking to God and being led by Him. Now, the first discovery was that their ship had come upon an island. Now, we don't think much about that, but that's significant because the water was deep enough for the ship to go right up to the island and they could unload all of their supplies there on the island and then row to shore. So God had planned this island and it was a perfect natural harbor, almost completely surrounded. And they rowed to shore and they found very rich and very fertile farmland. Now that wasn't true up and down the coast, but where they landed, the ground was wonderful for farming, just waiting for them. It was a beautiful slope and it gave them the drainage that they needed for their community. There was also an open field for a firing range. And that was important because they were able to see the enemy at a distance. And most important, God had given them four spring-fed creeks where they could get their water. Now, if you'll remember in Jamestown, they had slow-running, murky river water to drink. But here they said that the water was fresh and it was sweet, and they said they loved the taste of it. And the most exciting thing, they found 20 acres of fertile ground that had been cleared, ready for planting, and yet someone had just moved off and left it there, and it was just waiting for them. See, God had been making a way, He had been preparing a place for them for years. Now, He would have done the same thing for Jamestown if they had given Him the opportunity, but you see, they ended in dismal failure because they weren't willing to allow God to come in and intervene and bless them as he would like to have done. Now, William Bradford was 30 years old, and he became the leader of this place called Plymouth. The pilgrims immediately came under the attack of Satan, and their leader, William Bradford, said that it was because this was the first time that the light of Jesus Christ had come in force on this continent. And he said that Satan knew if he didn't throw them back into the sea at the beginning, there would be reinforcements come. And of course, that was true. There were reinforcements that came and others that came and and followed after the Lord. Now, when they realized that it was the enemy trying to discourage them, then they had the determination to stand. His evil schemes began that first winter, but they had made a common house and they were in unity and they were determined they were going to make it. Now, unlike Jamestown, they had gone together and they had built this one house together first so that they would have a meeting hall. Now, a fire broke out there, too, in Plymouth that first winter, just like it had broken out in Jamestown. But they had so much teamwork that they were able to put it out before it could burn the building. Now, they lost some supplies, but nothing like what was lost at Jamestown, where they had only three houses left standing. The more that adversity mounted against them, their journal said that the harder these pilgrims would pray. Now, this needs to be a word to us. Sometimes when we have adversities and they begin to mount, what do we do? Sometimes we run and we hide and escape or we try to fix it with our own self-efforts. Many times we get into discouragement and despair and we run away from God instead of tarting. But the more the enemy came against these people at Plymouth, the more they prayed. One journalist said they never gave into despair, they never gave into discouragement, and they never gave into jealousy. Now that's a miracle in and of itself. To think that they continued to pull together in unity in spite of what came. Now there were many people who got sick that first winter, but it was nothing to compare to what happened at Jamestown, where nine out of ten people died. 
And in contrast, here at Plymouth, we find that all the well people would go and stay night and day with the ones who were sick and would nurse them back to health. Now, the beautiful testimony is that they grew more and more tender toward God. They never did understand their spiritual authority. We never find a place where they used the authority that they had in Jesus' name. But they did know how to pray and they knew how to seek God. The turning point of the harassment from the enemy came in March of that year. Now, they had gotten through their first winter, and by an intervention of God, there was an English-speaking Indian chief named Samoset who came into the village. Now, he was hungry, and they gave him food, and after he had gotten through eating, they asked him about the Indians in those parts. And he told them that four years before, there had been a hostile tribe who lived in that area, and they would savagely kill every white man they came in contact with. But the old Indian chief said, you know, mysteriously, four years ago, they just moved off and no one ever heard of them again. See, God had made provisions for the safety of these pilgrims four years before they had even come. Now, Samoset came back the next week with another English-speaking Indian named Squanto. And they wrote in their journals and they said, Squanto was a special instrument sent by God for our good beyond our expectation. Well, that sounds like Ephesians 3.20, doesn't it? God will do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we can think or even know how to ask. Now, let me give you a little bit of background of Squanto. Six months before the pilgrims had arrived, Squanto had gone back to his village after a long trip, and he had found every man, woman, boy, and girl murdered probably by another hostile Indian tribe. But instead of becoming bitter, he had just sort of existed for the next six months. He had just just gone from place to place, and he had no reason for living. Until he discovered this little band of pilgrims at Plymouth who so desperately needed help, and they became his reason for living. These pilgrims, he said, were just like babes. They were ignorant of the wilds. And so he knew that he was there to help them and to show them how to live, how to exist. He took the young men and he would show them these special mud puddles and he would have them take off their shoes and and they would tromp up and down in the mud until these eels would squeeze up and they would just pop up in the air and they would catch them in their arms and they were fat and juicy and they said that they tasted so good. Now, I don't know that I've been hungry enough to want to eat an eel, but they were talking about how wonderful it was. That was a delicacy. He showed them how to plant corn and how to put four fish there to fertilize the corn. Now, they had to guard against wolves until the fish decomposed. And I think that's a type and shadow. You know, when Abraham had the covenant to be cut in the Old Testament, he had to scare off the vultures. Well, we read in Matthew 13 that the moment that the word is sown in our heart, the enemy comes immediately to try to put fear and discouragement on them. Now, it was described in their journals as a blanket of fear and discouragement that just came across the entire colony and just dropped down over the group. So the leaders got on their face before God and they began to pray. And God told them that it was an attack of the enemy. And God supernaturally gave them Isaiah 41 verse 10 as an answer. The way to fight the enemy hasn't changed. We still fight him the same way today. We have to fight him with the word of God. And that's exactly what God did. He gave them a weapon. Isaiah 41 10 says, I've chosen you 
So fear not. Don't look anxiously around at your enemy. Instead, God was saying, keep your eyes on me because I'll be with you. So don't be afraid. Well, as they began reading that scripture out loud and quoting that scripture, suddenly that blanket of fear and discouragement just lifted. And they said that it left the entire colony at one time. Well, Squanto became their guide. He became their interpreter. And they finally signed a peace treaty with the Indians. Unlike the people of Jamestown, they were very careful not to abuse the peace treaty. Summer came, and it was unbelievably productive. They had had tremendous blessings in their harvest. So the governor declared a day of public thanksgiving, and they decided that they would invite this Indian chief to come. But instead of coming alone, he came and brought 90 Indian braves with him. Now, the pilgrims almost panicked because it would take so much of their food supply to feed all of them. But they weren't greedy. They had learned to trust God implicitly. So they cast that care over on God, and they were willing to share their blessing with all of these Indians. But to their surprise, when the Indians came in, they had brought five dressed deer, 12 fat wild turkey, and they even went in and helped the women make pudding out of cornbread and maple syrup. And then the women took some of their precious flour and they taught the enemies how to make fruit pies. They had shooting contests and foot races and wrestling. And then the thing that interested me most was they took a pot of boiling oil and they would throw in kernels of corn and little white puffs would come out of, would pop out. That was the first popcorn on the first Thanksgiving day. Thought how nice it would be to make a tradition with young children and pop popcorn and and teach them that this was the first time that we had popcorn on Thanksgiving Day and take that as an opportunity to teach them about our heritage and all the things that God did to bring about this wonderful nation. Well, it turned out to be such a joyous occasion on that first Thanksgiving that the chief showed no inclination to leave. Thanksgiving Day extended for three days and they had such a wonderful time that that's all they could talk about. Now, they did have two setbacks. The enemy tried to come with a counterattack. The first setback was when a so-called preacher deceived them and manipulated them with some powerful sermons that played on their guilt conscience. And they signed an agreement out of a momentary lack of trust in God. And it put them under a 20-year financial obligation. Now, there was absolutely no way in the natural to get out from under this bondage because they were putting a 30 to 50% interest rate on the note. Yet God intervened again once they repented and they were delivered from their financial problem. Now the second setback came at planting time when a spirit of panic and greed for the first time tried to overtake the group. It came because of the memory of the hardships of the year before. But when they got into the greed and when they got into the fear, no rain fell. And this went on for a good period of time, and finally even the Indians panicked, and they were afraid that a drought had come. And when the colonists finally realized that it was their fear and their greed, the whole pilgrim community went into a sincere and a deep repentance, and they began to tell God how sorry they were for their greed. Now, their journals recorded that the next day, a soft, sweet shower came, and lasted for 14 days. It came without wind, it came without thunder, and it came without violence. 
So many times we think to get a good rain, we have to have a storm. But once they repented, it said that the 14 days of soft, sweet shower came without wind, without thunder, and without violence. You know, God honors the repentant heart, just like he did David in Psalm 51. Now, this episode had a profound effect on the Indians because they had performed all their rain dances and it was to no avail. So they were impressed when the repentance came, the rain came. And the journal said that many of the Indians were saved because of this. Now, the yield of crop was so abundant that they had a surplus for trading that next year. Greed, even in the greed, they might have planted enough and they might have had enough to get them by. But greed would never have given them a surplus for trading that they needed. Now, the second year, they had a second Thanksgiving Day. And this time, the chief brought 120 of his braves and brought all of his wives. And there was a letter written by one of the visitors that happened to be there during the celebration. And he said, At my arrival, I found plantation in good health. Neither man, woman, or child was sick. And I thought that was something, that no one was sick. He said they had 20 houses. Fishing is beyond belief. We had, in one hour, we got 100 cod, 20 roasted venison at the celebration, and other such good cheer in such quantities that I wish you had some of our share. We have here the best grapes you ever saw and the biggest, and plums and nuts, six goats, 50 hogs and pigs, divers' hens. A better country was never seen nor heard of. For here are a multitude of God's blessing. Now, he neglected to mention in his journal that the first course was on an empty plate in front of each person, and they went around and put five kernels of corn on each plate, the daily ration for each person that first winter. They did that in remembrance of their deliverance. Now, I believe that Thanksgiving should be to America just as important as Passover is to the Jew. See, it's not just our American heritage that's wrapped up in these early settlers. It is literally our Christian heritage. Otherwise, we could have been born into just another pagan culture. See, if Jamestown had been our only ancestry, things would have been a lot different. So Thanksgiving is the celebration and remembrance of Jesus being brought into our promised land. And we need to celebrate it each year with that in mind. Sometimes we forget that Literally, Thanksgiving is the celebration of Jesus being brought to America. See, it's not just a day to thank God for all the blessings. We need to do that. But it's a day to thank Him for our heritage. Now, it's probably one of the most important holidays that we have, as important as Christmas and Easter is, because do you realize that without the coming of those God-sent pilgrims, we might not have been told about Jesus? Our nation might be here and they might be having to send missionaries to us instead. So we need to celebrate this wonderful day. We need to do it in remembrance of God's intervention. And we should have as much fun at our feast as they had it at the Old Testament feast in the Old Testament. See, they had fun at their feasts back then. Godly traditions need to be made and they need to be handed down as we recognize this as our Christian heritage. But Passover in a Jewish home they bake their unleavened bread and they have their bitter herbs and they call in the children and hide the bread and they began to explain to their children what took place at the first Passover when they left Egypt. 
and they explain to the children all of the miracles. They tell how they put the blood on the doorpost and how God miraculously delivered them and how he opened the Red Sea and how he took them to their promised land. Well, we need to tell the miracles of the Thanksgiving story to our children every year. We need to remind them how God moved out the hostile Indians and how he provided the four spring-fed creeks and how he had already cleared the land for their farming and how he sent Squanto to teach them how they could survive. See, all of that was just as supernatural as the parting of the Red Sea. Now, these pilgrims were just a mere handful of light bears on a dark continent. But even though they never moved any further inland, they stayed right there in Plymouth. But the power of that light of Jesus Christ that they carried was to penetrate all the way across the continent from sea to sea. Now, we hear things that are going on in this nation, and it could be very frightening, except for the fact that we know that God started this nation. We know that he planned it out in detail. And he will be faithful to finish it if we'll do our part. And all in the world he wants is his people to be found faithful to repent and humble themselves and pray in thanksgiving to him. See, he would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah for just 10 righteous. Well, we certainly have a lot more than 10. Father, we thank you for the Thanksgiving season. We thank you for this wonderful holiday. We thank you for time that we can celebrate a Thanksgiving celebration that has absolutely no pagan origin in it. Lord, it's one that you've given to us so that we can thank you not just for our daily blessings, but we can thank you for the fact that you intervened and you brought Jesus Christ to this continent. Thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that. Father, I pray that that will be on our hearts and on our minds as we go into this Thanksgiving season. And Lord, I just pray that you'll show us ways that we can build godly traditions and and that we can teach these things to our children so that they too will understand and appreciate you for the wonderful things that you've done. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.